Hi everyone and welcome to Mina Jawarbin talking here. Today I am talking to one of my most favorite authors April Prince. She is talking to me all the way from Massachusetts and um by the time I'm going to publish this podcast maybe this will be a little bit outdated but right now they're in the middle of a big storm. I can't thank her enough for giving me um her of her precious time. Hi April, how are you doing? Hi Mina, thank you so much for having me. This is such a treat to be able to connect with you and I absolutely love your podcast and I'm really honored to be here. It's my pleasure. I can't believe you accepted um my invite in the middle of this storm. I hope you guys all fare well. <laughs> so it's my little escape, right? So the, I appreciate it. <laughs> right. At any time you need to bring out your ark and get on with it and leave with the family, just let me know and we can continue while you're rowing on the ark. Excellent. Okay. If the basement flooding gets to be too much on the third floor, I will let you know. <laughs> it's all good. Global warming. <laughs> Wonderful. So glad that you're here, and um, we've known each other since I started in in the in this career. You've always been um, a friend, a mentor, and a supporter. I can't thank you enough. But right now, I want my audience to know a little bit more about you, and maybe we just dive into the fact that when in your life did you start writing? Wow. Well, I I feel like I have always been a creative soul and I've always loved books. So in my scrapbook, my mom made me this ginormous scrapbook. It's bigger than me. And she saved so many things. And there's a book in there that I made when I was five. So it's called The Adventures of David. I show pictures of it to um, kids when I visit schools. And uh, when I was little, I had a cat named David and I had an imaginary friend named David, I think named after David Banner from The Incredible mm. Hulk. And as you know, I'm now married to someone named David. So Hi. this is funny. Mm-hmm. Um, so yes, so that was, was kindergarten. Age five, I started writing and making books. I have books from second grade. I have so many journals and just stories and poems and things like that, that I was always creating. I used to write, I guess you could call it fan fiction. Um, friends and I would write stories about the Candyland characters, mm-hmm. you know, on the game board, they travel through all these, your little game piece travels through all these worlds. Wow. Um, so we would invent new stories for, um, I don't even remember their names. There's like a molasses character, and <laughs> King Candy Cane and, and whatever. Um, and this will make you laugh. So when I didn't do very many naughty things, you know, I was like pretty straight arrow, but Mm -hmm. when I was in eighth grade, some friends and I decided, um, I grew up in Minneapolis. We decided that we would walk to middle school in the morning. Mm -hmm. We got about halfway there and we were like, what if we didn't go? (gasps) What if we didn't go to school? Yeah. So we, we skipped school. Mm -hmm. We got caught. We, mm-hmm. um, you know, not the smartest decision that we made, but 
part of my sort of catharsis and being grounded in all of that, I wrote about it. So I mm. have this whole little book that I made and it was so interesting to go back. My younger son is now um, just past that age. He's entering ninth grade. So when I read it, I thought, oh my goodness, like I was his age. It's really interesting to be able to look back, you know, to have some of those old writings and to see what was important to you and what kind of a writer you mm. were. You know, it's like a little bit of a time capsule. So I guess I guess I have always been writing just to to answer your question um I've done other I was a kid who always loved books but also was pretty well-rounded you know loved to be active and do lots mm. of different types of things I did dance and gymnastics and um piano and flute and girl scouts and you know I had lots of different activities so mm -hmm. I didn't always have my nose in a book but I did always love um, to read and create stories and both mm -hmm. my parents are really creative my dad actually works in publishing he was a creative director mm -hmm. um, at a couple of different publishers and he paints and my mom is a sewer and a quilter and a knitter and you know was always making me clothes and prom dresses and sweaters and you know so it just it just was sort of a given mm. in our in our family um to have some creative endeavors and it was something that was fun to do. So I guess I never questioned it. You know, it's just sort of part of it came of naturally. It yeah. Mm -hmm. It came naturally to you. And and um as you are um talking, I can see that you had um an abundance of support in your uh, creative um uh, endeavors and 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 you know you brought up some good point about the fact that you liked writing you liked books but you also did so many other things in your life and um especially the escape from school you know that is what builds character that is what makes a good writer like there are so many people that listen to my podcast and they're students of creative writing and They've done very well in their lives um, as far as going to school, getting good grades, going to wonderful creative writing schools. And that is all very uh, admirable. But um, there is a big part of it about, you know, doing something out of the box, traveling the world, um, skipping the school, you know, playing piano, flute, jumping up and down, gymnastics. All of that makes for a good author. You know, we can't just read books yes. in order to learn to write books. We do have to have um, life experiences. Exactly. So you brought that up. And, um, and uh, well, you know, we talked about your life experiences. How, what did you do for college? I mean, because necessarily you don't, like I went to architecture school and then I ended up to be an children's writer <laughs> so what what I mean it doesn't really matter college is fun it's just another adventure what did you do for that that part of your life the college well I think you're right that college is it's about learning how to learn you know mm -hmm. and being a lifelong learner and incidentally there do seem to be many architects turned writers 
Oh, really? Like, you guys build buildings, <laughs> but you also build books. Like there's something about, mm-hmm. there's some connection there. I haven't quite there figured is. it there out is. yet, but um, yeah. I think it's a beautiful thing. Yeah. Um, so, so I, like when I was in second grade, I had decided that I wanted to be an author. And I thought mm. that my um, in third grade, I said that my dad was going to mention that he was an artist. So I thought mm-hmm. he could illustrate my books and, um, but you know that as a young person, you have a lot of other things that come up that you might want to try out. So I had decided that at a young age, but by the time I got to college, I mean, I was I was a well-rounded sort of person, but also a well-rounded student, which is lovely, but also can make things difficult because it's not so readily apparent what you should study or what you might want to study. Right. So... I went to the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill, and that was a big change from growing up in Minneapolis, mm. which I loved, but I wanted a different experience. A lot of people stayed close to home, and I just I just wanted a different part of the country. I felt like that was mm-hmm. part of the education. And you, you also know, went had, to Europe, too. I did. Europe. I did study yeah. abroad, yes. Mm-hmm. So um, I... I, you know, before I went to Carolina, I hadn't mm-hmm. had grits and, you know, it was a whole different pace, you know, <laughs> in the North, we walk fast, we talk fast, it's mm-hmm. cold out, we have put our heads down, we kind of, you know, we're all, all business. And mm-hmm. the whole idea of sort of strolling and letting gentlemen open doors for me, you know, I can mm-hmm. do it myself. It was like, really <laughs> rude. I'm trying to hold the door for you. Um, so it just was. Um, it, it was just, like I said, part of the education and, and really need mm-hmm. to be sort of part of a different community. Culture, yeah. Exactly. And mm-hmm. when I got to school, I um, I had done really well on the biology AP exam. So I thought, mm-hmm. oh, I'm good at this. I'm going to be a biology major. And my roommate was a, so- I was a freshman. She was a sophomore from mm-hmm. North Carolina. And she was a biology major. And she told me about all the classes that were on her docket and her chemistry mm-hmm. and her advanced math mm-hmm. and all this. And I thought, oh, this is not going to work. <laughs> so I was a biology major for about three minutes. Um, and then <laughs> I know some schools you apply to your major. You don't do that at Carolina. So toward the end of your sophomore year, you declare what your major is going to be. And I thought, I, I just don't know. So I was talking to my mom and she said, how about journalism? You know, you've always really loved writing and reading and stories I thought, oh, that's a terrific idea. Like I hadn't thought of that. And I was really lucky that I happened to be at a place that had a really strong journalism school. Mm. And it's very practical training. You know, I knew that I didn't want to be a reporter, but Mm -hmm. having classes where you get into class and your class is three hours long and you're going to go do interviews on the street and come back and write your story and -hmm. make sure that everything is accurate. And if you misspell one person's name, you fail that assignment. Like you can't, you can't do that in the newspaper, right? So it was very practical. Um, But I knew, like I said, that I didn't want to be a reporter. I knew that I wanted to work in books. And Mm -hmm. I was the only one, like people were like, books? What's a book? Like we do newspapers, we do magazines, (laughs) you know, these are the things. Right. Well, what Um, was the, what was the, I mean, you know, sorry for 
interrupting here, but this is, I think it's a good, good, good place for me to jump in and interrupt and ask you what, what was the turning point that you became, you know, you learned, you just felt that you, this is it. I'm going to go from journalism to books. But well, I think in studying journalism, I knew, I always knew that I wanted books, not Mm -hmm. magazines Mm -hmm. or newspapers, or Mm -hmm. I think the longevity of a book and also I grew up my dad was creative director of a publishing company in Minneapolis Mm. and I grew up visiting him at work I have a picture Mm. of me I think it is on my website of me sleeping in a cardboard box at at like two months old at my dad's office Um, so I started visiting him there when I was really young and they had a photo studio in there so they had because they had a dark room remember those um, wow! And they had this. I I unfortunately do, but I have a certain vintage <laughs> um, before <laughs> digital photography. Yeah, we did we did that in architecture school. We had our own dark room, and we had to sign up for the time to go and develop our pictures. I even know how to develop pictures, but don't tell anyone. So go ahead. <laughs> you're 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 a Renaissance woman. I know. <laughs> and that there's certain, you know, smells of the developer and just mm-hmm. you know, the red light and clipping up your pictures that were just yep. so sensory that we have lost. You know, there are many things that are wonderful and fabulous about mm-hmm. digital, our digital lives. But um, so his office had this magic door. It was like this round. You'd step into it facing one way and spin the thing around and get out the other side. So, of course, this was the coolest thing ever when you're eight yeah or 10 or maybe 14 like I probably was always fascinated by it um so I love I just always loved to visit him at the office because the there were certain sights and smells not just from the photo studio but you know the the paper and the ink and they had really short um carpet that was on the floors but also on the walls and they would pin up it was like the walls were like this huge bulletin board so as the books would come to life, they were how-to books like a Black and Decker Home Improvement wow. Library or a Singer Sewing Library. So they were taking photos. And then as the the spreads would come to life, they would pin them up. So it was almost like walk, you go into a conference room and it was like walking through a book in progress. Oh, my um, God. It, That's just, so wa- I think it just you should write in. that book, April. Maybe. maybe. <laughs> that sounds amazing. <laughs> it kind of seeps into your, like, I think I didn't realize it at the Mm -hmm. time and the office was always full of creative people upbeat people um you know I I liked being there and I actually interned there two summers so I I think I just really grew up around that process and Mm -hmm. it sort of molded me in a way that I didn't realize was happening and so it Mm -hmm. was just a given and I think you know newspaper that's a that's a daily deadline you know, mm-hmm. and it's like that first draft of history. And I felt like mm-hmm. I'm a person that needs more reflection and more time. And even magazines, you know, books are just a whole different right. animal. When I graduated mm-hmm. from Carolina, knowing I wanted to go into books, I went to, it was at the time called the Radcliffe Publishing Course. And now it's at Columbia, um, which is really appropriate because there were people flying in from New York all the time. But it's a six-week really intense three weeks of magazine three weeks of book publishing professionals come and speak to you you have homework before you get there 
it's like all aspects of the publishing industry. So even if you're going into editorial or marketing, you are playing the role of a salesperson. Like I had to take mm. this pretend list and go sell it to an independent bookstore. Wow. Before what I got great to the course, education. it was just so mm. eye-opening. Wow. Right. Because That's they're like, I'll great. take one of these and two of these and one of this. And I was like, one? Well, because that's really all they need, right? But it was like, <laughs> it was eye-opening. Um, mm. And one of the things that always stuck with me is that somebody came to speak from, I think it was Human Resources, and he had a magazine. And, you know, what do we do? What do you do when you find a, a recipe or an article that you want to keep? You rip it out. Yeah. You that's what I do out. anyway. Yeah. Like, I rip it out and save it. Me too. Um, or bookmark <laughs> it, right, if you're online. But then he took a book. So he's ripping pages out of the magazine and nobody's really phased, right? This whole sort of lecture hall. And then he took a book, a new book, and he opened it and he cracked the spine and the whole <gasps> audience went, <gasps> oh my God, <laughs> it was like, what have you done? It just was such a graphic example of the way that we relate to books and like a yeah. sense of longevity of feeling like they they will be around there's something I got goosebumps (laughs) right (laughs) I got goosebumps it's so much work to make a book and it it involves so many people and takes so much time but then you feel like it's around you know it's a a thing that Mm -hmm. you have worked hard um, with this team of people to put together Mm -hmm. it's just so rewarding it is it's so it's uh, there's something very sacred about a book that a per- an artist writes and and just just sitting there in their home creating a book just like creating some somebody's making a sculpture somebody is you know painting and and then a, a publisher publishes it just like somebody in a museum says yes we are going to hang your wall here i always look at it as a work of art so you are now immersed in the publishing industry um, and you are also an author. And I want to ask you, what was the first book you got? What was the name of the first book you got published and how did that come about? What- right. It's, it's always a, a special, you know, mm-hmm. especially special book. Mm-hmm. So I, um, when I left the Radcliffe publishing course, I went to work at, um, it was called Lothrop Lee and Shepherd. It was part of William Morrow at the Hearst Book mm-hmm. Group as an editorial assistant. And so, as you said, I, I work in publishing mm-hmm. and um, I worked there and then I worked at HarperCollins Children's Books and Editorial. So before mm-hmm. I left Harper, down the hall, I heard that they were needing a ghostwriter for a project that was, it was an adult writer whose work mm-hmm. I knew and admired, and they wanted to do a series of children's books. And I thought, oh, that is really up my alley. Um, so I submitted, I created and submitted a writing sample. That's what they needed. And almost didn't submit it because I was like, oh, I spent all this time on this, but I don't know if I like it. And, you know, I hadn't, I had been editing, but hadn't been doing a lot of writing. Mm-hmm. So I submitted it and they came back and they said, you know, he picked you and how many, how many books do you want to write? And I said, I would like to write them all because, <laughs> you know, this is really up my alley and, and I love the concept of it. So 
that's kind of how I got my start shifting from editorial to writing. So when I moved to Massachusetts, I was freelancing and really writing. And part of what I loved about that is that when you are an editor, you are the author's point person for pretty much everything that Mm -hmm. they need. So uh, you sort of filter all the marketing and publicity and sales and you're doing tip sheets and flat copy and meeting with designers. Mm -hmm. And it's so rich and wonderful, but it's also you're wearing so many different hats. And I felt like when I started Mm -hmm. writing, I could, this was a nonfiction series, so I could research and I could write. And Mm -hmm. I was like, Oh, I can focus. Like it just, Mm -hmm. um, that, that was a beautiful thing. And in the course of doing all the research for these different books um, was a really fantastic experience for which I'm, I'm super grateful because it really sort of set me on the path and helped me see what I wanted to do. But in, in doing all that research, I started sort of this file of all these other ideas that I was mm-hmm. having and information. I was gathering science and history and all kinds of different things. So um, so I had started writing and the the first book that I, well, the first manuscript that I wrote didn't go anywhere. It had like no mm-hmm. tension. Um, you know, it was kind of more of just a memory and Mm -hmm. it was, you know, part of my learning process. But Mm -hmm. when I was watching the Salt Lake City Olympics, that opening ceremony, that was the one that Mitt Romney coordinated before. Yeah. (laughs) Um, The, you know, each opening ceremony is different, but for that Mm -hmm. one, the athletes were parading around the stadium with these huge flags. They were huge and Mm -hmm. so beautiful. And I looked at them and I thought, there's so much going on in that little rectangle for each country, mm-hmm. what it means, what the colors, the pattern, mm-hmm. the um, the history and how much it's communicating mm-hmm. in that small space. And I thought, oh, that would be such a neat book to do, you know, all different flags from around the world and mm-hmm. what they're all about and mm-hmm. sort of the, the symbolism and the kind of language of flags. So mm-hmm. at this point, I was also working at um, Studio Goodwin Sturgis, where I still work now. It's an artist agency. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I, hadn't, I hadn't done a ton of writing, but we were having a meeting with Little Brown and my um, boss, Judy Sue, knew I had this idea. And she said, well, if you want to pitch it, to the editor who's here, you know, if you want to chat her up about it, go, go for it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I did. And she said, well, I don't know if we know how to sell or market or position a book about the international flags, but we love a book about the American flag. And I was like, mm-hmm. oh, okay. So on my drive home, I started brainstorming and, you know, just the wheels were just mm-hmm. spinning like crazy. So I had jotted down notes. Well, I think it's so funny to tell kids that I had got this flag book idea from watching TV, right? Because that seems that seems taboo, right? We, we shouldn't well, do that. We should get our ideas from. <laughs> but like you said, we get ideas from everywhere. Anywhere, from yeah. doing things. We are a, a story stew of our own experiences and all these different things that you pull in. So, so it's called Meet Our Flag, Old Glory. And mm-hmm. it was published by Little Brown and illustrated in cut paper collage by Joan mm-hmm. Paley, who cut out so many stars, teeny tiny stars for that book. You can imagine because there is obviously at least one flag on every I've page. seen it. It's a gorgeous <laughs> book. It's a gorgeous book. Is it still job. in print? It's is not it in print, print? In, mm-hmm. in hardcover, but there is an ebook mm-hmm. edition. 
Mm -hmm. um, that Great Dog Literary put together. So that's Mm -hmm. available on Amazon and Mm -hmm. at your your local library. I'm a huge Mm -hmm. proponent of libraries. Yes. And and you've had a book, so congratulations on that. Welcome to the writing world at that point, right? But lately, I heard something about you had a book that was uh, optioned by PBS, something like that. Is that? It was um, yeah. the PBS program Between the Lions, which was sort mm-hmm. of, um, you know, when you graduate from Sesame Street was for a little bit older yeah, yeah, um, I remember it. Kiddo, it's, it's yeah, amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the the between the lions was an allusion to patience and fortitude, the two li- uh, lions that are outside mm-hmm. the main branch mm-hmm. of the New York Public Library on Forty Second, um, and they adapted um, my book. What do wheels do all day? That's published mm-hmm. by. Uh, Houghton Mifflin and illustrated by Giles LaRoche again in cut paper um, but very dimensional mm-hmm. in that case so they took the illustrations and made them move like they adapt different books differently some are animated right um, this one was really the the illustrations from the book come to life and there was a whole skit around it and they had the lions doing all these puns about wheels that was really fun and you know it was was, yeah um really sweet so I mean picture books are natural you know naturally they are they can be uh optioned and adapted and adopted by by motion pictures you know it's like um if those people in the industry are not looking at picture books to make animations I don't know (laughs) why are they doing that (laughs) More and more, they're realizing that it's out there. It's right there. You just need to be, make it into a, this new medium because somehow this medium is more accessible. People see more of the artwork that you created, the, the, the literary work that you created. It's not the same experience, but then they will go and look at the for the book too. And then that would, that right. would give them a chance to read more. It's you always so that. interesting to see what yeah. what others do with your work. And I think that, mm-hmm. you know, when you put out any kind of creative work, just like you were saying, it's something that is like art in a museum where mm-hmm. it's not complete. All these people have come together to, to mm-hmm. assemble it, but it mm-hmm. isn't complete until the reader comes to it and brings their own perspective. You know, as, as an adult, I used to go and buy books that, were picture books. I liked them. I liked reading picture books because um, I was very visual, and it was it was such a smart way of um, of um, learning about a concept or thinking or bringing um, the provocation of a concept by just reading a book like a Shel Silverstein book, or you know that kind of a. Um, or other books that would just talk about a subject without being an actual 400 novel, make you think yeah. about it. It was just beautiful. Like some of my Rumi books, you know, that people don't have access to Rumi, never heard of it. They read it in a picture book and they go, let's go find out who this person is. Yes. That kind of a thing. I feel, I feel like there is, they're in, they're endangered species. Do you have any <laughs> thoughts on that? Or- well, I'm glad, I'm so glad you brought it up because picture books are just really my true 
love, you know, and mm-hmm. I think part of what I love about them, and this is the, the picture books for younger readers that I yes. think you're talking about where the text tells part of the story and the illustrations tell part of the story and neither one is complete without the other there really is no other art form absolutely that is like this and it, it is an art form it's a it's yeah. a very special um I don't know about you and your process but like I, I try to write with restraint knowing that the illustrator will come and add a whole nother layer absolutely I, I think like that too yes yes and I think that you um I shouldn't assume, but I think that you, like me, because of your visual background and interest is part of what draws you mm-hmm. to picture books. But I agree that they they really are like no other books that we read in our lifetime, whether you're mm-hmm. reading them as a child or later, you know, that it's like a, a nugget of information and wisdom. So just like you said, I'm not going to wade through maybe all of Rumi. But your book is a gateway because it's right. introducing me to this this mm-hmm. person and this story that I maybe didn't know about. And it's so accessible and approachable because it's not huge. And the creators know that they only have 32, maybe 40 pages to convey whatever it is that they are passionate about and trying to right. you know, trying to convey. So you know that it's really those 32 pages are going to be so rich, you know, like I try, I'll, I'll bring a bunch of new books home from the library just to see what people are doing mm-hmm. and, you know, read mm-hmm. books that I've read reviews sure. of. And I, I really try not to read them on the fly. You know, I, I wait until I can sit down and really absorb. And usually I, I read it and absorb and then I'm like, I'm going to read that again tomorrow or, you know, like I just, you know, like sort of need to, to mm-hmm. digest it because they're really rich and wonderful. And I hope that people, you're saying that you have bought picture books as an adult. And of course this is what we do. So maybe that's to be expected, but I hope that, you know, teachers of and librarians of older, you know, that cater to older students don't stop reading them and that people in general don't stop reading picture books because they really, you know, to me, their age is not just four to eight, but four and up, or, you know, there are many that are just such wonderful nuggets of Mm -hmm. wisdom. I think the best picture books really distill an emotion and experience. And that's what makes it so hard to write. Yeah, absolutely. Because it's it's from four and up, you know, so you're talking to this vast audience. You can sit down and write a novel because you know you're talking to an adult, you know, audience. You're talking to, you're writing a novel for adults. You're just writing an adult adult novel. You're an adult. You're writing for an adult. Okay, big deal. (laughs) But that one is like another, you need to learn another language. You need to remember the core of humanity. It's like so hard. And people think that people think that, oh, okay, well, she she just simplified and like a story and wrote they have no idea that for one year we go back and forth after our, you know, with the editors and everything to just make it so beautiful for everyone. And then it gets shoved in the children's department where it can be in spirituality, it can be in the poetry section, it can be into 
something called visual books. You know, I just really think that people who sell books need to maybe understand the process that we go through. Yes. And maybe, maybe it's a good point that maybe there's a different way, you know, if you are an adult that either has grown children or doesn't have children, you will never probably venture to the children's section of the bookstore or the library. So, you know, maybe it's part of positioning them differently as sort of these, these books for all ages, because I think the best Mm -hmm. and the picture books that last the longest are really those ones that just hit you they hit you right in the Mm -hmm. chest of Mm -hmm. wow you know like that's a universal human emotion or experience that you take value from it at all different stages of your life yeah and you what what a five-year-old takes from it is different from what a 15-year-old or a 45-year-old you know it's it's different but it can stay Mm -hmm. with you and and grow with you yeah it's valid for a 60-year-old person to go in there and buy 10 picture books for their library. It's nothing wrong with right. that. You don't have to just keep buying Stephen King or whatever else that you read. <laughs> but you can read picture books. It's okay. You don't, you know, it's there's some taboo, taboos that they are they are in there in the society, and it's like uh, we are um disabling ourselves without knowing because I've been invited to for example ESL schools because people grown people are learning English by reading picture books picture books that have a lot a lot more words than some others you know that's really teaching them Um, it's interesting you know right it's true and I think that mm -hmm. picture books are different from say an early reader to I mean it's still adding another layer but sure mirroring that in a way and I think what you said about sort of the storybooks like for older some of those more Mm -hmm. they're just different they're just a different animal yeah I think we we classify our classifications have to change a little bit so we Mm -hmm. will open our our hands in publishing more things that people would like if they are directed towards And 21 Elephants and Still Standing, I would say, is a book for sort of, you know, five, six and up. And that is a book that I I do have people say, I'm Mm -hmm. buying this for my adult daughter who lives in Brooklyn. Or there you go. I think the the Mm -hmm. artist um, by Francois Roca, and it's it's very sophisticated, but I think also accessible, you know, to all ages. Mm -hmm. So I think it it comes across as maybe a little more of a... uh, fine art or you know it's still illustrative he still does a lot of foreshadowing with the imagery that I love you know he does what a wonderful picture book illustrator should do you know adds to the story and um, like I said shows things before I talk about that that book I would say I don't know if you feel the same I feel like every book has a little bit of its own process like just when I think I have a process It's Mm -hmm. totally like, you know, I start drafting something on my phone or I start Mm -hmm. drafting it by by talking, you know, Mm -hmm. or um, sometimes recently I've even like made a little dummy book and written the text into the little dummy. Mm -hmm. Like, like, it's just it's like every every subject and 
um, mm-hmm. theme. It's like it wants its own way to come mm-hmm. to life. But mm-hmm. that book, um, 21 Elephants and Still Standing, I, I read about it. So this was in the 18, the Brooklyn Bridge was built in 1883. It was finished. It mm-hmm. took 14 years to build it. And um, there were some people who were afraid to cross it. It was the longest, tallest, mm-hmm. widest suspension bridge that had ever been built in the world it was built with steel wire which was also a new Mm -hmm. um new thing and people were like not crossing that thing I mean obviously many people did but there were people Mm -hmm. who were like I you know I'm not going to do that so uh enter P.T. Barnum who was you know his own um big personality you've got this big bridge and big personality of P.T. Barnum and he brings in his big elephants to say well Mm -hmm. his circus was going from Manhattan to Brooklyn and he thought I'm going to take them over the bridge to show people that the bridge is safe right if these elephants can cross it so can you so I'm going to perform this public service well of course he also didn't mind reminding people that the circus was in town right they were like absolutely it was a (laughs) win-win exactly a (laughs) win-win and he that he invented the term show business you know he was one of the first people to um make that you know that that we can have fun and that we that you can sort of make a profit from this Mm -hmm. um but he also was you know he just was such a showman in terms of he didn't invent the circus but he invented the three ring circus you know there's just a lot going on see like that is a kind of a book that somebody who's four year old can be read to and somebody who's 40 year old can read and say oh I didn't know about this. Not only are they going to find out about this, but they can go read more about this and then they can enjoy and love this book and put them in their library forever. So that's one kind of book that I'm talking about that you wrote. And then you have your other books that are for much younger ones, like your last one, the snowy, uh, one of your latest one, the snowy day, right? Exactly. So that is a story about a child who gets to help her dad at work and gets Mm -hmm. to go on a journey that she's been waiting for and you know have a new experience Mm -hmm. and part of you know part of what I think I love about children's books in in talking about the way that they are different from Mm -hmm. other books that we read in our lifetime is that Mm -hmm. children are experiencing so many things for the first time Mm -hmm. so picture books are their introduction to Mm -hmm. you know a first introduction to art but also you know just connecting to those things of what is it like to be a child who is is waiting for something you know like it's Mm -hmm. so it's so hard to have patience and to wait it's hard as an adult but it's hard as a child you know a, a month or however long you're waiting for something is a much bigger you know proportionally of a four year old's life than it is of of our lives and it's so I such think a gorgeous we can relate book. yeah yeah um that is illustrated by Christine Davinier and she she just really um channeled um mm-hmm. what it's like to be out in a plow in a snowstorm mm-hmm. and you know have a, a bond with a parent I I think each book you know um that when I, I mean, wrote 21 yeah. Elephants I did I did so, like I read about it as a caption. You know, you might read a whole book, you know, three hundred page book, and it was just a caption that P.T. Barnum had taken these elephants across the bridge. Right. And I was like, can that really be true? Like, I started doing research and looking for mm. photos, and there weren't any. So it was like, did this really happen? You know how like a rumor 
get started mm-hmm. and then people perpetuate it because it sounds so cool. So I thought maybe it wasn't true. So it was kind of this treasure hunt of research to figure out if it had happened and why there weren't any photos. I traveled to um, Connecticut where Barnum lived and um, New York and did a bunch of research at the New York Public Library. This is before everything was truly online. So I did finally mm-hmm. find news- newspaper articles, so primary documents talking about the elephants crossing mm-hmm. the bridge. And when I spoke to um, the zookeeper at the Bronx Zoo, the curator of mammals, I said, um, you know, what what do you think is going on here? Like, why do you think, what do you think about this event? And why do you think there aren't any photos? And he said, well, it probably took place at dusk. Um, you know, as it was like the animals would be calmer um, uh-huh. and it would be cooler. It was May. Uh-huh. Um, uh-huh. And so what I discovered from that is that there, because I kept thinking, why were there, this was so crazy. Why weren't there any photos? Because, right. you know, Cause we're taking 500. Exactly. And, <laughs> and <laughs> photography, you know, was, was, had been invented by then, but not flash photography. Right. Came later. So there, so it was like this, you know, figuring out all of this stuff. So that book, I did all this research and I I had all these notes and I came home and I just sat down and the the whole thing just poured out of me. Don't you think that sometimes we can write 10 other books after all the research? (laughs) Yes. After research Mm -hmm. around your topic so I knew Mm -hmm. that I was writing about this really one moment in time you know as these yeah what did it take an hour for the elephants to cross but I did research all about Barnum all about the building of the bridge all about New York City all about elephants I mean the stack of Mm -hmm. books was like up to my knee I tell Mm -hmm. kids when I visit schools like that's a lot of thick books but you want to understand the context of your story even if not all of it comes through in what you write, it informs what you write. There are a big array of styles of writing picture books and there are different formats inside the picture book format. And I know that you teach, you yeah. you teach um, uh, this kind of thing at- I teach at <laughs> um, Rhode Island School of Design and these mm-hmm. students are so talented like they bring so much to the table so many ideas so many experiences and ways of storytelling pleasure to to work with them and to help Mm. mold stories and and help them realize that they have an important voice and that it's important to to tell the stories that either stories only they can tell or in a way that only Mm. they can tell it right because you were saying it's important to go out and have experiences you know to to read widely but to to do widely and for parents that doesn't even mean you know spending a lot of money on classes or anything like that it's you know going places in your community go for a walk turn over a rock see what's underneath be curious Uh, April, your uh, latest book is coming out on August 3rd. Do you want to tell us about it? What What are your plans? What's the name of it? How are you going to launch it? I would love to tell you about it. It is actually two books in one. It's a picture book. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's 
it's uh, called a Tet Beige book where it starts, uh, there's two stories and one starts from one side and one starts from the other and oh they my meet God. in the middle. So it is called You Are a Reader and flip it over and it's You Are a Writer. Oh. And um, it's illustrated by Christine Davenier who illustrated um, Snowy Race. And we worked again with Margaret Ferguson, um, editor extraordinaire at Holiday House. And she she took a chance on this idea of this Tet Beche book that I really wanted to explore the way that reading and writing are the same two sides of the same coin or now they're two sides of the same book right <laughs> Christine created 26 little characters um so hopefully oh that will help you know all different types of people and different types of readers see oh. themselves whether you're reading street signs or you're reading labels at a museum or you're reading comic books or magazines or a recipe there are all different types of readers and all different types of things that we can read and write and then as the books come together um the middle you know the middle spread of this type of book often either they have facing pages where the each story ends or sometimes it's one big page so ours ends with you are a reader and you are a writer and then the middle text says and readers are writers and writers are readers and readers are writers and it's all set in a circle it was mm -hmm. a little bit of a a mind bender um production wise but i have one advanced copy and it came out beautifully and i'm just really excited to share it with oh the my world gosh. and hopefully are you gonna power yeah yeah because you know. like dude it's like I use the word dude. <laughs> I tried not to. Living in San Clemente, I can't not use. <laughs> Finally, it's one I of your drew. finest qualities. I'm like, dude, <laughs> dude, we need this a reading and writing billboard advertisement. <laughs> and this is, this, this, sound, this really sounds genius. How, what are your plans of launching it? I mean, is are we still virtual launching stuff? Oh my god! Uh, yes, <laughs> we are hoping. I have, um, like I said, I'm a huge library proponent. I'm actually right. on the board of trustees of the Shrewsbury Public Library where I live, and that's a um, that's it's just something that I I treasure, and I I just yes. um, I love libraries, and I have been launching my books there they've been wonderful to host me so on the third I am doing I'm hoping we can do an outdoor in-person event yeah. to celebrate the books and then I have some other um, bookstore events in September and a big event with the Treehouse Museum in Utah um, in September also such a pleasure to have spent an hour with you April thank you